The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is the digital transformation of your supply chain with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they will discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise you're in the right place. I always say that and it's always true. So there, what's the buzz on the street today? Well, we have a quote from Stephen Covey or Covey, if you prefer. Between stimulus and response, there is a space where we choose our response. That's the key to our topic today. What are we talking about? Digitization is changing the supply chain game. It's driving business in a new dimension where, guess what? You've got to respond fast, accelerated, in the moment. It's mandatory. What are the options? Well, if you take too long, you might be left at the starting gate and watching your competition whoosh, sprint right to the finish line. However, however, there might be a downside to responding too fast. What is she talking about? Well, simply hitting reply without having insights that are timely and correct could be just as dangerous. What do you need to do this? Well, you need a couple things, at least rules-driven planning. We'll talk about that later. What-if analysis, I think you know what that means, and intelligent inventory staging. So look into your organization. Whose job is it to bring your supply chain management up to speed? And of course, I'm talking figuratively and literally. Our topic officially today, our episode title is Digital Response and Supply Chain Management. Are you the tortoise or the hare? Now, if anybody's very young out there in our listening audience around the world, you might be saying, what, the tortoise and the hare? It was an Aesop's fable, number 226 in something called the Perry Index. And very simply, the hare is a rabbit and there's a race going on and he's making fun of the tortoise. Oh, you're slow. You're not going anywhere. Well, the tortoise decides to challenge the hare to a race. I can beat you. I can beat you. So the hare runs off and he's streaming along this race route and he's confident. He's so confident he arrogantly takes a nap halfway through the race. Well, I'm the rabbit. I'm so fast. I can just go to sleep. Nobody will notice and I'll catch up. And when he wakes up, guess what happens? The tortoise crawling slowly but steadily, has arrived at the finish line before the hare and won the race. So digital response and supply chain management, are you the tortoise or the hare? Too slow, you get left behind, but too fast, you might still get left behind. A lot of meat on the bones here. Let me tell you who my great panelists are today. First up, we're going to be welcoming back in a moment a panelist from last month. It's Jerome Custers. He's a senior manager 
in the supply chain management technology practice at Deloitte. And a shout out to Carla Neal and our good friends at Deloitte who support us so wonderfully with so many good speakers like Jerome. Joining him on the panel will be another Deloitte thought leader, Srini Bangalore, a newcomer to Game Changers. He's a managing director. And rounding out the panel is another newcomer this time from SAP. It's Eric Simonson, Director of Solution Management at SAP. So let's go around the table to Jerome Custers. And Jerome has sent me a quote this time from Mark Twain, uh, original name Samuel Langhorn Clemens, American author and humorist who wrote The Adventures of Tom Sawyer, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, and the latter was often called The Great American Novel. Twain has been lauded as the greatest American humorist of his age, and Faulkner called him the father of American literature. Well, here's a very serious quote from Mark Twain, according to Jerome. Prophecy is a good line of business, but it is full of risk. Jerome Custers, welcome back to Game Changers Radio. How have you been? It's been a month, Jerome. What's new? Good morning, Bonnet. Uh, it's been going well. How have you been? I'm I'm very well. Thank you very much. Listen, I found this quote fascinating. I, I wouldn't have expected anything quite so serious from Mark Twain because, Jerome, he's been called an American humorist. So this is serious stuff. Why don't you take apart this quote for us and tell us how does it relate to supply chain management? Um, sure, Bonnie. Um, so basically, if, if we look back into what we're trying to do traditionally in supply chain management, supply chain planning specifically, as we're trying to predict the future, right? So mm-hmm. if we're trying to predict the future, we've always been faced with the fact that we're always a little bit wrong. I think mm-hmm. so far, when I look back at how I've been trying to help my clients for the last 10 years, I always knew that I was wrong, but I never really did anything with it. So I think it, it is very recent, and I, I find your topic for your show today so fascinating, because it's only recent that we really start focusing on, the, so how can we, um, knowing that we're wrong, really respond to that effectively and still add value also on the other side? So that takes a little bit away um, that, that prophecy and that trying to predict the future. It doesn't make it less important, but it at least um, acknowledges that it has its flaws, and it allows us to go and try to use those flaws and try to respond to that effectively. I thought that was a very good quote fitting exactly the topic we have today, which is actually something which seems to be very hot in the market right now. Thank you, Jerome. And I want to bring up a little piece of Mark Twain trivia for you that goes beautifully, I think, hand in hand with this quote. Twain was born shortly after Halley's Comet, or some people say Halley's Comet appeared. And Mark Twain predicted he would, quote, go out with it as well. Would you believe Mark Twain died the day after Halley's Comet returned? Talk about prophecy, Jerome. Did you know that? I did not know that, and that's sad to hear. Um. (laughs) He had a feeling. He just had a feeling. Jerome, thank you for joining us again. We're so happy to have you back and appreciate your insights about this quote. And now we're going to welcome one of your colleagues at Deloitte. He's Srini Bangalore. He's calling all the way from Korea, some kind of business he's over there. We'll find out that later. But Srini has sent us a quote from Warren Buffett, American business magnet. Buffett's still with us, born in 1930. He's just a young kid. American business magnet, investor, and philanthropist considered one of the most successful investors in the world. Talk about prophesying. As of March 2017, Warren Buffett is the second wealthiest person in the U.S. with a total net worth of $78.7 billion, with a B. And his firm would eventually, uh, I won't go through the whole uh, history here, but he is known as uh, he's the owner or the CEO of Berkshire Hathaway and it's a diversified holding company. He's also been called the Wizard. He's been called the Oracle and the Sage of Omaha. 
lot of interesting things here. I won't get into Warren Buffett's politics. Here is the quote Shrini Bangalore has selected from Mr. Buffett. Quote, in the business world, the rearview mirror is always clearer than the windshield. Shrini Bangalore, welcome to Game Changers. How are you and what time is it in Korea right now? Thank you, Bonnie. And it is 11.09 p.m. in Korea. Well, thank you for staying up so late. If that's not your normal stay-up time for jo- to join us, I appreciate it. Srini, the quote is so interesting that you picked a quote about basically uh, looking ahead, looking behind. We just had a quote from Jerome via Mark Twain. So tell me, how did you pick this quote about from Warren Buffett about our topic today? Uh, sure. And um, I'm a big fan of Warren Buffett, as you just said. He's been a very, very successful investor, and he's said a lot of things, and this quote just stood out for me because it ties very closely to what we're going to talk about today from a supply chain perspective. And we could talk about this quote for the next 30 minutes, but I will not do that. (laughs) But just imagine for a moment you're driving, Bonnie, and you can see the rearview mirror clearly, and your windshield is hazy. That's kind Mm -hmm. of a supply chain. And now imagine the weather gets worse. Your driving effectiveness is greatly diminished, and you are going to be in dangerous territory. So if you think about the quote closely, you can spend a lot of time analyzing the various facets of what it means. But for our purposes today, I will say that companies need to figure out how to respond to customers and align their supply, given that they're less able to see what's ahead, And even though they can see the rearview mirror more clearly, the past is certainly not an indicator of the future. So this is an interesting challenge. And Mm -hmm. I felt that even though Buffett's quote is fairly short, if you think about it deeply and apply it to supply chain, it's got a very profound message. That's the reason I picked the quote. Thank you. Very, very interesting. And I didn't ask this of Jerome, but I'm going to ask you, Srini, while I have you on the line before I introduce our next panelist, Eric Simonson. Question is, uh, any comments on my selection of tortoise versus hare in terms of responding too late or responding too fast? What do you think Warren Buffett would say about that? I think Warren Buffett would just say you got to respond just about right. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he's been, he's been successful for a reason. I think um, he does believe in timing and uh, believing um, that he's in it for the long haul. So if you think about it, if you look at the tortoise, it is maintaining a steady pace, but, is a, but it is in it for the long haul. And another um, favorite quote from Warren Buffett is, uh, my favorite holding period is forever. So he's in it for the long haul. And so that's the reason I believe he's going to find the right balance. I appreciate that. Thank you. My favorite holding bird is rare. I'm going to have to end the show now and call my stockbroker and tell him to not sell today. Hold, <laughs> hold, hold. We're trying to trying to time the market, and it's so hard. Morning, noon, night. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, seriously. Bye, guys. Show is over. No, I wouldn't do that. Uh, thank you, Shri. Very interesting insights. I'm, I'm glad I made you laugh, too. Okay, and Eric Simonson is waiting so patiently. 
recently in the wings. Eric is also a newcomer to Game Changers. And Eric has sent us one of our favorite four-word quotes. I didn't say four-letter. I said four-word quotes in the movie Jerry Maguire. We may, in fact, Eric, have listeners around the world who are too young to remember because the movie dates back to 1996. It was an American romantic comedy drama sports film. If that isn't a mouthful of genre, romantic comedy drama sports film. That's just everything that a guy in a sports bar with his girlfriend sitting next to him would want to see, right? Uh, it was produced and directed by Cameron Crowe. It stars, of course, Tom Cruise, Cuba Gooding Jr., and the lovely Renee Zellweger. And very interesting, uh, just a synopsis, Jerry Maguire, played by Cruise, is a glossy, according to Wikipedia, 35-year-old sports agent working for Sports Management International, and all of a sudden he has an epiphany, and he writes a mission statement about the perceived dishonesty in the sports management business, and he would rather have fewer clients to do better quality work. I'll just leave it at that. The quote, of course, everybody's waiting breathlessly for this one. Show me the money. Eric Simonson, welcome to Game Changers. How are you today? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks for having me, Bonnie. We're delighted to have you. Talk to me about the quote. Are you a big Jerry Maguire fan or Tom Cruise, whether he's jumping off of a couch or jumping up and down on the phone? What's your favorite Tom Cruise role? Yeah, great question. So I, I picked this one for a couple of reasons. I am a Tom Cruise fan. Usually he's jumping out of an airplane, but this is one that's a little bit more subdued, right? So uh, not that I was going for the shortest quote ever on your show at only four words, but I thought it might be recognizable by a lot of the, um, a lot of the listeners. And it's very generic and open-ended, I guess, is the best way of putting it, because we know at the end of the day, you know, businesses are operating to do one thing, right? And that's to make a profit for its shareholders. So how this kind of relates to the topic that we're talking about here today is about planning is really the last part of the step before execution, right? So as we go through our discussions here today, we'll see that at the end of the planning process, we're kind of handing that baton, if you will, to the execution Mm -hmm. side of things where they ship products to the customers and businesses get paid, right? So that's one really important aspect of it. Thank you very much. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very intrigued with the quote because, yes, I, I have a question for you, Eric. Are you on the side of the tortoise, the hare, or as Srini Bangalore so aptly said and, and channeling a little bit of Warren Buffett here, the balance in between responding just at the right time? What do you think that big challenge is for supply chain management? Yeah, so I'm in the I'm in the just right category, and actually I think we could use another fairy tale, which is um, you know the three bears, Goldilocks, and the porridge. So ah. there's one that's a little too hot, a little too cold, and one that's just right down the middle. So you could go with that one as well, and I'd be the one right down the middle because um, it's important to know when we talk about this from a business perspective. One other point I wanted to make about this quote was mm-hmm. a lot of times we see companies lose money because they are trying to expedite things and they're trying to react to things that were unforeseen. Uh, mm-hmm. And they do this because they had poor planning. And when they lose money, their profits go down, right? So it's really important to ensure that we have the most accurate view of what we can see here, even though that windshield may be a little hazy, and then do the best we can to respond to those changes in an efficient manner. Thank you very much, Eric. Very, very interesting. We have such interesting quotes from the three of you, and we are talking today, in case somebody's just tuning in, about digital response and supply management. Are you, your company, the tortoise or the hare? Are you able to time the quote-unquote market right? Do you have the balance between replying quickly but being well-informed and knowing when to do it and what to say versus taking your time or just not caring at all? Oh, my goodness. We don't even want to talk about that one. 
You're listening to Digital Transformation of Your Supply Chain with Game Changers Radio, just in case you tuned in. Now I'm going to go around the table and ask my panelists, where are you calling from? We already know Srini is in Korea. Where are you calling from and what's in your cup today? Meaning what would be in your cup, if not right now, that makes you really, really happy? Jerome Custers, where are you and what are you drinking? Thanks, Ronnie. I'm, I'm currently in California, and, and I still remember the first time we had this call. You told me, um, well, you can't really say I'm, I'm, I'm drinking boring coffee in a hotel, so you should think of what you would rather have. And actually, mm-hmm. ever since you told me that, I've been doing that all the time. Because last time I, I told you that I really prefer to have a good, small espresso in the morning, have a real cup, not a paper cup, which looks a little bit sad in a hotel room. And actually, since you told me that, I've been kind of applying that all the time, not just while we talk. So every time I drink a sad coffee in a hotel, I think back about my projects I did when I was back in Europe, working in Italy, close to a, a Lake Garda, it's called. It's a very nice vacation spot. And there I, I could always walk to the office, which uh, our client was a couple of blocks uh, from the hotel. And that was the nicest period, because in the morning we could walk to the hotel, have a coffee on the way, have some breakfast, while we, while we were kind of in this touristy area. So... Every time I'm now in a hotel drinking a sad coffee, I think back about what you said, and I think back about um, my time in Italy and, and kind of having much more fun in the morning uh, than, than I have here sitting, uh, sitting in my Californian hotel. Oh, I'm, I'm so pleased that that question made an impact on you, Jerome. I'm actually actually very flattered. Before I go to Shirini and ask him what he's drinking to keep him awake after 11 p.m. in Korea right now, Jerome, any comments from you about the tortoise versus the hare being the one slow and steady wins the race versus whoosh, out of the gate into the end and you don't quite make it because you really had too much confidence? Any thought about that and, and our question of balancing the response timing, Jerome? Yeah, so I, I think our panelists are, uh, are, are very right in saying, well, it should be down the middle. However, when you originally introduced the topic, I was kind of thinking, well, it should be the hair, right? But you shouldn't be arrogant and sleep halfway. So be the hair and, and go till the end. So that okay. was my first deck. But obviously <laughs> down the middle, in some cases, would probably make most sense for most organizations. There you go. Thank you very much, Jerome. I'm glad you're inspired. Sharini Bangalore in Korea. It is now approximately 11.19 p.m. You're a trooper for joining us this late. Sharini, what are you drinking to stay awake, or what are you going to drink right after you're off the show? Talk to me. So I can tell you what I'm going to drink after the show. I'm not drinking anything right now, but it is going to be a glass of fresh-squeezed orange juice, and I drink... So much of that uh, that I recently, a couple of years ago, actually invested in a commercial-grade orange-juicing machine, and I'm mm. going to share a short story here. Yeah. It's made by a company called Zumo, and I was cutting so many oranges to make my orange juice, I realized it was a lot of work, and like any efficient supply chain professional would do, I said, there's got to be a better way. So I bought this machine, and it cuts and squeezes oranges at six and a half oranges a minute and without getting the acid, yes, in the rind into the juice. So it's pure juice squeezed at six and a half oranges uh, a minute. And here's a secret. Here's why I drink so much orange juice. If you drink plenty of orange juice, you can remain very healthy and have a strong defense system, particularly against travel germs. And this week, I'm on my 15th international trip in the last six months. So I know something about travel. So it's orange juice. It's my favorite cold drink. 
my favorite hot drink, if uh, you're interested, is a handcrafted uh, non-fat vanilla latte. So there's the answer to your question. <laughs> you're just amazing me. By the way, I am on the Zuma website, Trini, Z-U-M-M-O-I-N-C.com. I'm looking at That's this. Right fabulous machine it's all stainless and it, it's got a little like a metal basket on the top it looks like like a chute where the oranges go down into the machine it's like they're little i used to have model trains i used to play model trains in the basement with my dad we had the lionels and then we had the little scale ho trains and there was a cattle car and the cattle these little mechanical cattle were on um uh, they had magnets, and they would move along down to get into the car on the train as it stopped at the station. Don't even ask me any more about that. So this automatic juicer will juice oranges, lemons, limes, mandarins, grapefruit, and I am shocked at this one, pomegranates. Srini, do you ever juice a pomegranate in your Zumo? No, I have not. I only juice oranges so pretty much. It's a single application machine as far as I'm concerned. But yes, you're right. It does the rest as well. Wow. It's a beautiful looking machine. You just need a little bit of a footprint in your kitchen for this. This is not in inches. Well, well my, yes. mine, is a, mine is a smaller machine. It's the smallest of the machines. So um, yeah, I got just about the right footprint. You are you are intriguing me here. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. Eric Simonson, I can't ask you to top any of that. We've had two wonderful stories from Jerome and Srini. So, Eric, where are you calling from, and what's in your cup today, or what are you dreaming about drinking, Eric? Yeah, so I'm here in Atlanta. It's about 1020 in the, in the morning. Um, that will be a couple tough stories to top. I'll try my best. <laughs> uh, I, don't, don't take this the wrong way. I know the this, this show is called Coffee Break with Game Changers here. I am not a coffee fan at all. That's fine. Uh, I have tried to, to enjoy coffees many times, and it just never um, fits with me. Uh, we have a Keurig machine that my wife uses, but I'm a tea person. So I like some herbal teas, some Earl Grey's. And my quick short story for you is, uh, my first job out of college uh, was in the south side of Chicago at a manufacturing company, and I was a production scheduler of their printing presses. So think of things about, I don't know, 30 feet tall and about 150 feet long, right? Big machines making these big printing uh, on mill rolls. And uh, as you can imagine, it's a very blue-collar job. We're in there. You get dirty, et cetera. And uh, the guys, my first day down there for the shop meeting at 7 a.m. in the morning, uh, they asked me if I wanted some coffee as the decaf and regular were sitting there in the room. I said, oh, no, not really. I'm not a coffee fan. I prefer tea. And they said, oh, so do we. And they proceeded to pull out one of those, you know, boxes that you see at a fancy restaurant when you order tea and they come over to mm-hmm. you with a different selection. You know, it's got the right. belt on the inside. They had that in their drawer, two guys wearing, you know, overalls and, and uh and blue shirts with stains all over them. And then we proceeded to drink tea every morning at 7 a.m. to go over the production schedule the night before. So it was just kind of fun. Oh, how lovely. Yes, we do allow tea drinkers here on Game Changers Radio, Eric, even though our flagship show is Coffee Break with Game Changers. A quick story for you. We once had a British gentleman. We've had several on the show over the past five years. We had a Brit who told us that he considered American tea bags I hope you're not offended, Eric. He considered them dusty tea, D-U-S-T-Y. He said, how can you Americans drink dusty tea in a bag? And he proceeded to give us the exact 
water temperature, the exact thickness of the china teacup, and the exact amount of time you should steep the loose tea in what kind of a, a container in the water to get the perfect cup of tea that even the queen would approve of. So so we, you're very welcome to be here, Eric, and thank you for the story. Love the story, actually. You know what? We are telling a lot of stories today, but we're telling good stories to our, our listeners around the world about a serious topic, digital response and supply chain management. Is your company ready? Do you have the right insight? Do you know what in the world's going on in your supply chain? Are the right people in place with the right information? to know what to say when a question comes in, when a response is needed. Going back to our opening quote from Stephen Covey, between stimulus and response, there is a space where we choose our response. And then we had some wonderful additional quotes from uh, Mark Twain and from Warren Buffett, as well as, of course, the standby standard, show me the money, Jerry Maguire, because that's what it's all about. When we come back, we're going to have a lot more with Jerome Custers at Deloitte, his colleague at Deloitte, Trini Bangalore, and Eric Simonson at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. All I can say to all of you out there is don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You don't want to miss the rest of this. We're informative and we're having fun today. I'll just say simply to our engineer, Kevin out. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Rising customer expectations, complex supply networks, and a focus on your business's bottom line make it more important than ever to bring your extended supply chain into the future. Your digital supply chain is one of the most critical components of your business success. From matching supply to demand with efficient order fulfillment to designing and manufacturing amazing products, hear how you can bring your extended supply chain into the future. Our experts discuss how the extended supply chain of the future is producing dramatic results to businesses worldwide. The digital transformation of your supply chain with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit SAP.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You're listening to the digital transformation of your supply chain with Game Changers. Presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now let's get back to the digital transformation of your supply chain with Game Changers. 
We are back talking today to Jerome Custers and Srini Bangalore at Deloitte and Eric Simonson at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We have a very serious topic. We're having a little fun with it, but it's serious nonetheless. Digital response and supply chain management. Are you too fast on the draw, too quick like the hair? Are you relaxing in some kind of arrogance, resting on your so-called laurels? Are you the tortoise, slow and steady wins the race? Or do you find a balance somewhere in between? How do you know when to respond? Does your supply chain management have the right information, the right insights? Do you really know what you're doing? So that's our topic. And let's start off our roundtable with Jerome Custers. And Jerome has sent me the following in his notes before the show. So let's start here. Jerome says, no organization operates in a vacuum. While building a strong internal operating plan will allow you to ensure internal strategic alignment to your common goals, this is only the first step. Jerome, please tell us more. Um, sure, Bunny. Thanks. Um, so I think essentially a lot of times when we work with companies and we're trying to help them improve their supply chain, we're really looking internally in that organization. And so we're helping them um, improve their internal planning processes and we're helping them to um, respond to changes they see occurring outside of their organization. However, to a large extent, it would make a lot of sense if companies were to collaborate much closer and actually share much more information across uh, company boundaries. That would really allow you to be much more effective and basically use information outside of your organization, both in your planning processes, to ensure that you reduce variability in there, um, as well as try to use it to immediately respond to um, to changes or supply disruptions which would happen. So, so let's take an example, right? So if I'm working with my supplier and my supplier needs to provide me a certain raw material for me to effectively do my production process, which I need to serve my client. I could wait and see what my supplier is going to deliver me, and on the moment something doesn't arrive, I can react at that time and and be responsive and and, and try to um, do the best I can. However, if the supplier knows that he will not be able to make the delivery schedule he promised me, he could share that information with me much earlier. And from that perspective, I could actually um, react much quicker. So what I try to say with this in my notes is really having, having the capability or having the insight into how other um, organizations in your say, end-to-end supply chain really um, work, it's, it's really important and really valuable information. And the more we see companies try to integrate that information and, and talk to each other, communicate, share information, the higher the probability of success in responding um, to disruptions which happen. Because if you know it earlier, you can respond earlier. Thank you, Jerome. Let's get Trini's POV on this. Agree or disagree, Srini Bangalore? I agree, Bonnie. And what do you think? Anything? Uh, <laughs> anything? <laughs> oh, you got me there. You're a charmer. So the question is, how do you? How do you? Okay, okay, I got it. I, I, I. You know what? They don't let me have caffeine on radio show days, but I am on my toes, even though I'm drinking water. That's all they let me have, and it's a double header day today. Srini, question is, how do you know you're getting the right information when you're collaborating actively outside of this vacuum and you're saying, yes, we have to talk to our suppliers and our customers? How do you know that that's the right information that you're getting the good insights? Yes, I'm going to take one step into the supply chain to be able to answer that question. That is being able to predict demand. And if companies are able to predict demand properly, then we know that we are getting the right demand signal. And to be able to do that, there's really one crucial thing. You need to understand and use 
the drivers of demand, which is where most companies struggle. That's part of the problem, our part of the solution. The second part is being agile in your response. And I'm not going to go into a lot of detail, but mm-hmm. like many people have said in the past, uh, forecasts are always wrong. They're partially wrong, rather. And mm-hmm. so you need to get it partially right. And then you try to bridge as much as possible of the rest to get it right by being agile in your response. So between trying to get as good a forecast as possible and trying to bridge the rest through an agile response, you can get a good signal. And when you're collaborating with your suppliers and your supplier ecosystem, you know you've got as reasonably a good signal as possible for the supply chain. Thank you very much. Sounds very sane and and, uh, a secure way to operate. Let's get Eric Simonson's thoughts on this. Eric, please join us. Yeah, so um, Srini stole a little bit of my thunder there. I was going to say the same thing about it starts with the demand side of things and forecast accuracy. We have a saying in the industry that says one thing that's for sure, the forecast is always going to be wrong. Uh, It's just a question of how wrong it is, right? And companies use uh, safety stock as a buffer against that uncertainty and how you can determine what that safety stock and inventory level should be is a whole other topic for another day on another show, likely. But one thing that I would like to just comment on is I completely agree with Jerome's um, insider comment around if suppliers know that they're not going to be able to do something, the, the quicker that you get that information from them or the earlier that you get that information from them can allow you to adjust what you are doing. And that's really helping here. And using that through digital uh, communications enables that quicker uh, communication through that collaboration. Thank you very much. I'm going to circle back to Jerome Custers. And Jerome, any thoughts on what your colleagues on the panel said? Anything you want to add? Um, I think we're, we're all very much aligned on, on that specific topic. And thanks to, to what Srini said, I think indeed, and, and we talked a little bit about that the last time I was on the show, really the, the whole relationship between, well, if you try to plan properly in the first place, you will have slightly less requirement to be responsive. So a lot of companies, when, when you see topics like response management, go to the extreme and, and they try to be the hare and try to say, I'm going to run with this all the way. And mm-hmm. if I'm very responsive, I don't need to plan at all anymore. I think that ties back to our discussion in the beginning. We said, well, actually, it should be the right middle way, right? You need to still focus on planning, still try to get your plan right, knowing that it's one perfect. It should be a baseline. And then from there, you could say, okay, knowing that that was only a good baseline, let's work with my suppliers, with my partners to ensure that I get that information early. So if something doesn't align with the plan, I can take action as soon as I can. Thank you, all three, for that. Before I move to a topic in Srini Bangalore's list, I'm going to start with Jerome, then Srini and Eric, and ask the three of you. One of the questions in my opener at the top of the show today was, whose job is it, parenthetically anyway, to bring the supply chain management up to speed? And I added that was figurative and literal because of our, our reference to the tortoise and the hare. So where does this responsibility lie? We're talking about you. We're saying companies. We're being very generic. So just let me get... Uh, a one-minute response from each of you. To whom are we addressing all of these wonderful insights we're sharing today? Jerome, who, who's, who is, whose wheelhouse should be paying attention to this? Um, I think it's almost the whole organization. So that, that information could enter the organization via various channels. It could enter via um, the normal supply chain channels and following up on, on, on the real operational stuff happening on the ground. So you get shipments and, and, and everything which basically comes into your organization. But it's not really limited to that. 
it could go to sales and, for example, um, disruptions could occur also on the demand side. And we expected our client to buy 100, now they would like to have 500 of a certain product. So in that case, there is also a disruption bound to happen. The disruption comes from the other side, so it could come from various sources in the organization. I think supply chain sales um, are, are probably the highest on my list, but I'm sure that the other panelists are going to add a bunch to that. So, Thank you very much. Srini, thoughts? I, I agree with um, your own, and the other comments, a comment I'm going to make is, in terms of responsibility, it actually transcends multiple groups. But to make it a little more specific, when we start with demand, I would say it goes back to the head of sales and the head of supply chain because collaboratively they figure out demand and how to respond. So that's kind of where demand is. I know we'll be talking a lot about supply, and that I would put more in the responsibility of the head of supply chain management so that they can plan supply. And when it comes to balancing the two and making the right decisions in the best interest of the company, Mm -hmm. then I would add the CFO as well. So it's really a lot of different executives. Each one has got specific responsibility and then combined they've got overall responsibility for the company's profitability. Thank you, Srini. Eric, thoughts, please. Eric Simonson. Sure. Yeah, I'll start on the, I'll, I'll focus on the supply side here since this is the main topic today. Um, of, of course, it needs to start at the top from an executive perspective and make its way down. But on the supply side organization, it obviously varies depending on the size of the company. But many of our customers um, that are sizable will have people like master production schedulers that are determining this tactical longer range plan. They'll have distribution planners. They'll have manufacturing schedulers at the plant that say this is what's being made. Um, and then when you get down to the uh, transportation side of things, moving products from the plant to a DC, to a warehouse, or even to a customer, uh, we have those type of individuals too. So on the supply side, there's various roles, but it's usually um, a day in the life of a planner here can vary between a master production scheduler to a distribution or deployment planner too. Thank you very much. Good answers from all. And now let's go around the table to Srini Bangalore in Korea. And Srini, who is staying up late for us, and we appreciate it. Srini told me the following in his notes before it got to be late in the evening. Srini says, prioritization is table stakes for most supply chains, but keep it simple. Srini, can you tell us more, please? Absolutely. And I'm going to share some secrets so people uh, could possibly take notes. (laughs) Um, so the first thing is I know everybody would agree we're not debating prioritization is important for the supply chain. I think pretty much we, we've got unanimity there. But what's got a lot of debate is few people agree on how to prioritize effectively, especially because it can get very complex very quickly uh, in between the processes and systems to have sufficient practical value. In my experience, what happens is we begin prioritizing and get so sophisticated that the outcome is pretty much useless. So here's a secret. In my experience, there are three core dimensions of prioritization. And first is the customer importance. Regardless of how you segment customers, there's a priority attached to a customer or a customer group. So that's number one. Dimension number one is customer Mm -hmm. importance. Second is companies are in the business to make money and that is product profitability. So you need to know that particular product that you're selling to the customer, we just talked about, how profitable is that? So that's the second dimension. And the third one, because we're talking about the overall supply chain and the overall effectiveness of the supply chain, we are interested in overall profit contribution from everything we sell, not just that one product, but everything we sell as a supply chain. 
So if you get those three dimensions, then I will tell you that pretty much anything else that you come up with in general is covered. So you, you are unlikely to come up with anything more sophisticated than the three things that I talked about. And if you do come up with something, it's likely to be more complex and may not give you the benefit relative to the investment that you make in the prioritization. So that's my take on prioritization. I know a lot of people talk about it, but in my experience, that's the insight. Thank you, Srini. Let's go around the table and see what Eric Simonson and Jerome Custers have to say. Eric, love to get your POV on this. Thoughts? Yeah, no, I agree with that. And uh, demand prioritization is one of the ones that I had in my notes, too. Um, so the key, the key takeaway for me is once you do this prioritization, um, it, it, Srini is right. You have to say one customer may be more important than another. I'll give you a quick example. We have a customer of ours. Um, that Walmart is a customer of theirs, uh, and they pretty much take precedence over everybody, right? Whether they like mm-hmm. it or not, their volume is so big and it's so important from a profitability standpoint, they get the first dibs, so to speak. And then you have to figure out how you're going to allocate or prioritize the other customers in, in terms of what inventory that you have to go. So if they come and take a big order, what does that mean for other customers? What are they? <clears throat> do they get the scraps? Do they? Do we keep mm-hmm. a special certain amount of stock or inventory for these other segments? Like you heard Srini say, customer groups. We can also call them segments. So dividing up that and determining who gets what is a really important uh, part of the equation on the supply side. Interesting. I, the idea of not getting the scraps, that's always interesting. If customers knew what was being discussed behind the scenes, <laughs> well, well, you know, they're not that important. We're only doing this much business with them, so it'll be two days late and 15 boxes short. They'll forgive us. They'll understand. Oh, my goodness. That's a conversation you don't want to get out in public anywhere. Be not hacked. Yes. And so let's go around the table to Jerome Custers. Jerome, thoughts about this prioritization on demand side for for various levels of customers. What do you think? Um, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think uh, that is indeed how most of our clients probably look at that. One of the thoughts which I often have is that in practice, you you need to find something which actually in in all reality is likely a proxy to to measure that. How do you measure customer importance? How do you measure product profitability? I say, well, product profitability is reasonably straightforward, right? However, most of, uh, of of the clients I, I work with, it isn't that simple a question. The theory is very simple. I know how to calculate the possibility of a product. However, in practice, to gather all the information to actually come up with an accurate um, profitability um, overview of all the products doesn't seem to be that simple. So I think everyone is aligned on the high-level dimensions and what should drive it. However, it, it often takes a little bit of thinking through how do I make that operational? How do I make that real? What are the proxies I could use to assess customer importance, product profitability, and an overall profit contribution? Thank you very much. Let me go back to uh, Srini. This was your topic. Any thoughts you want to add on what your colleagues on the panel said about prioritization? Nope. Uh, the um, I agree with all the comments that are made, but the reality is if you focus on those things mm-hmm. and get to a tactical level using both the processes and the systems, we can get there. But the key thing is focus and not getting distracted from what I just talked about earlier in terms of the three critical dimensions. Thank you very much. And Eric Simonson, I'm looking at your notes and we have plenty of time. So 
Here we're, I'm going to combine two topics here, Eric. You can uh, approach this any way you want. First of all, you say the ability to be agile and update customer delivery dates based on the reality of the supply situation provides better responsiveness to demand. So that's number one. The second thing I want to combine with that, if you don't mind, is deploying what was produced at the plants throughout the networks to the selling distribution centers and warehouses is critical. And the final step of the planning process before handing over to transportation and execution. So can you uh, define all of that or explain all of that for us, please, Eric? Sure. Great. Um, And um, this is going in a nice chronological order, too, as we start with demand and work our way down with collaboration Mm -hmm. and then prioritization. So this is a nice segue here uh, into the ability for customer delivery and and what we call confirmations or reconfirmations, right? So what we mean here is um, typically as part of the process, we have this forecast, but we know that forecasts are wrong. Um, And then we have real customer orders come in. So they say, okay, I'm really uh, predicting that you're going to buy a thousand in this period, but you know, the order came in for 1200. So what happens? That means that that we're going to sell more than we thought we would. And maybe another customer order in that same period comes in less. So this ties in with prioritization really importantly because when priorities happen and those customers take priority, we might need to reconfirm one of those. And what I mean by that is uh, customer A has a higher priority, but B was already there, and he might get bumped, right? So he was going to be promised on the 28th, like today, but now we're not going to deliver him until the 30th. So that's what we call reconfirmation or in, in in the process of this, one order is being shifted to satisfy another order doesn't mean that he's not going to get it. He just might get it a little later than he thought, right? So that's part of the confirmation process. Mm-hmm. And that ties in with, as we're talking about, closer to execution because a sales order is really execution. Um, and then the next step in that w- where you mentioned here was around deployment, right? So this is what's important to say we have so much made, but we have more or less than we thought we were going to make, um, and we need to then push that through the network out to our distribution centers or to our warehouses where we then ship to the customers. So there's a lot of different equations here. We could spend several minutes on this topic, but typically what we call in the industry here fair share, which means I don't have enough supply to meet that demand, or I have excess supply, which then we go into push mode. I've got too much inventory. Where do I need to store this? Should I put it at one location who's capable of holding more, or maybe we have a higher volume of sales because it'll chew away at that excess inventory quicker, and I don't want to send it to another location that has limited storing uh, storage capabilities or that it's not as uh, dynamic in terms of its sales volume. So all of this is really important. Uh, Once something is manufactured, how we commit to those specific sales orders, and then how we get that product moved throughout the supply chain. Thank you. Very interesting. I just got a lesson in that. Eric, uh, sidebar, Srini and Jerome don't need to listen to this. I was rudely awakened from a very interesting dream. I was about to ascend about six sets of stairs in an apartment building somewhere in bare feet, and I was wondering about the safety of my my feet. Uh, The phone rang at 7.10 a.m., New York time today. I, I couldn't even find the phone. I, I had no idea where I was. And it was a gentleman telling me that a delivery was going to be made tomorrow afternoon. He had my name wrong. I had to argue with him on whether it was a wrong call or not. I said, who is this? He said, is this Annie? I said, no, you have the wrong number. He said, Annie Graham? I said, no, it's Bonnie. Oh, the first letter of your name was cut off. I think this is for you. And he had a delivery. And I said, when? He said, well, between 12 and 4. I said, how about 2? He said, no, you don't understand. We're delivering between 12 and 4. Will somebody be there? And we went on and on and on. I was getting dizzy and sick to my stomach. And I thought, well, that's a hell of a way to wake up. 
somebody up more than 24 hours before a delivery and not even apologize. Is this the way distribution is supposed to go, Eric? Serious? And this is a major, I, major retailer. Yeah, I, I, I hope not, right? I mean, typically we've seen <laughs> a lot of times that a lot of times they say this, you know, you need to be home to sign for this and I'll show up and out for delivery. But knowing when something leaves and the more accurate we can be in terms of providing that information downstream to the customers is obviously vital. Yeah, at the right time of the day, too. Thank you very much. Don't cry for me, Argentina. Jerome Custers, love to get your thoughts on not my story, but what Eric's talking about, the criticality of deploying what was produced at the plants through your network to the distribution centers and warehouses. What are your thoughts on that part of the supply chain story? Um, So I think Eric um, successfully introduced a lot of uh, complexity in, in his statement. So it, it was a very good overview as to how, how do you make that planning now um, more real? How do you make the link between planning you have done, the forecasting you have done, and now the actual orders come in and it all becomes executional? And I think that's one of the challenges um, a lot of companies are struggling with today to have a very clear link between um, planning and execution and actually make that link fully integrated to have a a very good process integration, a very smooth process going from your operational environment, which um, basically works today, to use that information which now gets in the past to perform your planning. Then from your planning, actually tie that back to reality kicking in on a day-to-day basis. So I think that process integration is something which typically has been very hard for most of the companies we have been working with. So most companies we see working very well on um, building a good plan and all agree that this is the right plan and then to some extent try to operate. But having that clear link between this is my plan and this is what happens and how do I tie the two back and and keep my plan updated, I think is, is, is very important. So the whole process integration is for me the main thing I I, um, I took away from Eric's overview of uh, what he was talking about. Thank you very much. And Sharini Bangalore, thoughts on what we were just discussing with Eric and Jerome, the deployment? Uh, yes. Um, normally, when we talk about supply chain, historically, we've always said supply chains need to be stable, variance is the enemy reduce volatility, et cetera, et cetera, but the supply chain and all of that is still very valid. The one thing I will add to what um, Eric said earlier, yes, we got to do everything that Eric just mentioned, but things change and sometimes things change drastically. How do you still run the supply chain and adapt to all of those changes? And something we should begin thinking about is how do you respond quickly using all of the information and then figure out a response? that is not going to disrupt the supply chain and replan quickly, but not disrupt the end-to-end supply chain so that there isn't a significant or severe downstream impact on your suppliers, for instance, and a negative upstream impact on your customers. So I agree that would be easier said than done, but I think we have made a lot of advances in supply chain technologies and computing systems, etc., where we are now able to handle a lot of information, a lot of data, and replan without it being disruptive. Even a Thank- few short years ago, that was impossible. So that's my take. 
Thank you very much, Rini. And uh, you know what, uh, Eric, I'll give you 30 seconds to respond to what they said because it's time for us to go to the crystal ball predictions lightning round. So, Eric Simonson, what are your thoughts on your comments, the comments from Jerome and Shrini on your topic? Yeah, I think we're all I think we're all pretty much in agreement here. I just my, my closing remark will be this: and there's a fine line between being responsive and agile, as we've been talking about here today. And as I kind of mentioned at the beginning here, profitability and expediting too much loses money, right? So response and agility should not equal let's overnight every every shipment to the customer and make sure they get it in time because we're reacting way too late. Like Srini said, having that information up front will be able to allow you to be responsive, but that doesn't mean last minute, you know, I've got to do this thing to get it to them and it's going to cost me a ton of money and I'm losing all my profit, right? So that's the key. There's a fine line there. And we've got to make sure that we don't try to cross that line. Thank you very much. And now let's circle back to Jerome Custers. You know the drill, Jerome. I'd like you to look into the crystal ball for predictions from your POV, from your experience at Deloitte with all of your customers, whatever you're doing in the supply chain arena. And tell us what would be different if we met again, and I hope we will soon, if we met again around the year 2020. It's not that far off. So I give you 60 seconds for your predictions, talking about supply chain management, digital response, deployment having the right insights, making sure that you don't let drastic disruptions trickle downstream to disrupt your credibility with your suppliers and your customers and always maintaining that level of prioritization so you are profitable. That's a lot to do. So, Jerome Custers, 60 seconds, predictions, go. Um, I think for me it all comes down to the one short sentence, bringing it all together. So, I think that applies on various levels throughout the organization, on various levels throughout technology, which could support that. So bringing it all together means connecting your operations to your supply chain planning, to your response management, and bringing that all together as one integrated process. Bringing it all together across companies, not just inside of your companies, but using the information your suppliers and your customers have, and bring it all together into one all-encompassing plan. That, I think, should be the target for 2020, to have that process integrated, so to bring it all together on a process level, and have all of the supporting technology available to support that one big plan across companies, across the whole organization. Thank you very much. Prediction, and I think it's really advice in the form of if you don't, you might not be around to have this discussion. I think that's where we'll go with that one. Thank you, Jerome. Srini Bangalore, I have 60 seconds for you. What do you see in the crystal ball for 2020 and supply chain? Go ahead, Srini. And, Bonnie, my crystal ball goes uh, well beyond 2020, especially because, you know, I'm a big fan of Warren Buffett, so let me share my crystal ball (laughs) here. And. I think we talk a lot about digital supply chain today. I think that is just the beginning. The end game in my mind is really cognitive supply chain, and I'll make it real by uh, letting, by giving people an example of your smartphone, let's say 15 years ago, and think about your smartphone or just your phone. It's no longer smart, just your phone five years from now. So by that comparison, I look at cognitive supply chain as a 20-year journey where your machines and computing systems that you use within your supply chain have got machine-based intelligence. They can learn, they can problem-solve, and they can Mm -hmm. make decisions on your behalf in the processes in your extended supply chain. And the role of a human being is to actually augment the machines. So that's what my crystal ball tells me in the next 20 years. 
Thank you. Fascinating. And Mr. Eric Simonson, I saved exactly 60 seconds for you. So what do you see in the crystal ball and how far in the future, Eric? Yeah, so this is an interesting question. You started it off at the beginning saying 2020 is not too far away, and I would agree with that, right? So Mm -hmm. um, it's just around the corner, quite honestly, and we know that organizations take a a little bit of time to get ramped up and to uh, implement change in terms of just process changes or even system changes, right? Um, But what I think we'll see here in in the next short few years is around a lot of this digital uh, collaboration, right? Specifically, as we talked about today, maybe it'll start with the supplier side of things. uh, And then eventually, you know, we can get to some of this customer collaboration type two to get some better demand uh, visibility and pictures. But I think from a supply side world, we care a lot about what our suppliers are doing and the information that we can get from them uh, a little bit uh, quicker, earlier, and more accurately. Um, cognitive intelligence or cognitive computing or AI or whatever we want to call it definitely is something that's on the horizon. I, I don't know that I would say that I'd see it here implemented in 2020, but I think you'll start to see it more in the marketplace talking about implementations uh, beyond 2020. So I agree with Srini. It's, it's a little longer, uh, little longer range, but it's definitely on the horizon. Thank you. Very interesting insights from the three of you. Uh, By the way, I want to share a little insight here. One of my panelists about a month ago said, 2020 is only three New Year's Eves away. So I suggest everybody Mm -hmm. start planning where you're going to be. Make your reservation now. Make sure Barbara Walters doesn't reserve the whole restaurant. Get that champagne reserved because you want to be in the right place at the right time. Jerome Custers, real pleasure to have you back again. Thank you so much. Rini Bangalore, you're my hero. It's now uh, 11. It's midnight in Korea minus three minutes. So thank you for staying up and joining us. Eric Simonson, pleasure to meet you as well. And a shout out to everybody who put the show together. We're talking about Shane Ellis and Suzanne Ellis and Rick Imber, no relation with the Ellises. And thank you to our engineer extraordinaire, Kevin Gassman at World Talk Radio. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here is my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Be like Jerome. Be like Srini. Be like Eric Simonson. Go out and be a game changer today. Have a great one. I'll be back in one hour with a new episode of Startup Focus with Game Changers, talking about public-private partnerships and the startup ecosystem right here on the Business Channel, 12 noon Eastern. You don't want to miss that one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to the digital transformation of your supply chain with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Tuesdays on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.